Well, it's been a busy week around uh, the office of Waukee Community Church as we've been moving from one to the other, and I just really am grateful for all the help. Uh, it was crazy. I, it's amazing how in two years how much junk we could collect at the office. And so if you've if, if it's been a long time since you moved, uh, you don't remember, but you have a lot of junk probably. And so uh, it was a purging process for us. It was really very cleansing and good. And so uh, exciting. It, the week culminated. Uh, today is Ryan Leonard's birthday. And so yeah, he's, he's old enough to vote now. And so uh, R- R- Ryan is our pastoral intern slash administrator. And uh, if you don't know Ryan, you know, it. you know Ryan. If you don't think you know him, you've met him. He's uh, tall and good looking. So there you go. All right. So say happy birthday to Ryan today. So we are in the book of Haggai. And last week I did an overview of the books of Haggai and Malachi, uh, two books that you may never have heard preached from, but we're going to spend uh, through the month of May in these two books. And, and so today, uh, last week was the overview. Today we're going to jump right into Haggai chapter one. I was thinking about priorities. The, th- the, the series title for the book of Haggai is Priorities. And so I was thinking about this week, people with wrong priorities. You know, if you just look at these people, if we, if we throw some pictures up here of, of people with wrong priorities. Look, I mean, Hugh Hefter, there's a guy, right? We'd go, okay, not, priorities are not in the right place for this guy. Uh, you know, he has everything and yet he has nothing. I mean, talk about a person that's just bankrupt and awful, but yet in the world's eyes has everything. His priorities are not right. Uh, another picture here, uh, the Taliban, right? I mean, I think we can all agree their priorities are in the wrong place. And so it's pretty obvious. Um, another one is, is this one. Just insert the politician of your choice here, and, and you can claim that he or she has the wrong priorities. Depending on which party that you tend to lean towards, I'm sure that we all have some politician that we think has the wrong priorities. Um, here's another person that has the wrong priorities, right? Darth Vader. He's on the dark side. Uh, he's in the West Wing, apparently, in this photo. I'm not sure where that came from, but uh, Darth Vader, wrong priorities. And then lastly, I think we can all agree that any Cardinals fan has the wrong priorities. I mean, look, at he, he, this guy realizes it, right? <laughs> it's baseball season. We get the Cubs references have to start coming out. All right, all joking aside, it's important for each of us to ask a priorities question. I mean, it's one thing to look at someone else and say, does that person have the wrong priorities? But the real question is, do I have the wrong priorities? Do you have the wrong priorities? And that's why we're in this series from the book of Haggai, Haggai called Priorities. It's right, taken right out of the book. Now today in your bulletin, the, the title for this message is uh, something along the lines of extraordinary priorities. I changed it. Uh, Ryan's a slave driver, and he had to get a title from me for the bulletin before I was ready. And so uh, I'm using my executive authority and changing the title from extraordinary priorities to theocentric priorities, which is a word I'm sure that you use in your everyday conversations with people. Theocentric. Who's this Theo guy, and why are we supposed to be centered around him? Uh, Theocentric is just a word I like. It comes from the Greek word theos, which means God. God God-centered priorities. That's what we're talking about today. God-centered priorities. Last week, um, I kicked off this sermon series with, where we looked at Haggai and Malachi. And and as I kicked this thing off, I ended last week, if you're here, you remember, with my kids' um, 
plate, which I forgot at home today. I was going to bring it back. But my kids have these plates at home. And, and I, I held them up. And, and they're compartmentalized plates, you know, so none of the food touches. Like the old lunchroom plates that we had when we were kids. Uh, and they have like uh, the different compartments. So you, there was three across the top and then a big one. And I used this lunchroom plate last week as we wrapped this up to talk uh, about how most of us think of our lives in terms of compartments. Our lives, we think of our lives in terms of a lunchroom plate. And we hold those up and we think, well, I got this part of my life and this part of my life and this part of my life. And God is part of that somewhere. God gets a compartment. And, and I talked about how, uh, you know, a lot of people think priorities-wise, it should be Jesus first, then others, and then you. And if you remember, I didn't really like that acronym uh, at all. And uh, because it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What I want to do today is pick up where I left off at the end of, the, of last week's message. I want to talk about how we make Jesus the priority for every compartment of our life. How do we do this? How do we make Jesus the priority for every compartment? Because Jesus should be first place in everything. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation. It doesn't mean Jesus was born or had a beginning. That's not what Paul means by the word firstborn. The firstborn has the priority. He's the first place in everything. Fundamentally, these theocentric priorities are not simply about making Jesus number one. They're about making Jesus number one in everything. You should write that down today. If you're taking notes, there there it is right there. Fundamentally, theocentric priorities are not simply about making Jesus number one. They're about making Jesus number one in everything. And so what I want to do today as we look at this passage in Haggai is I want to walk us through some various sections in the plates of our lives, in these lunchroom plates of our lives. I want to look at some of these different sections and talk about how do I not just flip the plate over and take the big section and say, Jesus gets the big section of my life. He's number one. And then the others, he doesn't really get to have a part of those. They're number two, three, four, and five. That's not what we want to do. How do I take the sections of this plate and make Jesus part of every single one? The priority in everything. Let's, look some, uh, let's review a little bit the background of the book of Haggai. If you remember, I I talked extensively about the background working up to the book of Haggai last week. Let me just review a really short amount. If you remember in the year 606, the nation of Israel wasn't doing so hot. They had been disobeying God. And God finally said in in the year 606 BC, God said to Jerusalem, to Judah, this kingdom, he said, enough, enough is enough. I've been patient for hundreds of years waiting for you to make me the priority of your life waiting for you to worship me like I instructed, waiting for you to be the people that I asked you to. And so discipline time has come. So in the year 606 BC, the nation of Babylon came to Jerusalem and and they sacked it. And uh, over the course of three different deportations, they they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and they took a few of the Jews 900 and some miles back to Babylon. And for 70 years, those people were in exile. And it was during that 70 years and the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon that we get those great stories from the Bible like Daniel 
when, when the Daniel in the lion's den, and, and we get uh, the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and, and we get those accounts of Esther, the queen who saved the people. This is all happening in exile. After 70 years in the year 536 BC, the king of Persia, because since then Persia had come and ousted the Babylonians, the king of Persia says, you know what? It's time for the temple of the Lord to be rebuilt. And so he commissions a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Bob told me this week that his next born child, he's going to name, middle name Zerubbabel. So uh, (laughs) Cheryl just gave him a look. That was great. Oh, grandchild. Oh, sorry. Okay. So, uh, Zerubbabel. Yes. He... <laughs> okay. That's awkward for all of us. Uh, so, sorry. Cheryl's never going to sit down front again. All right. So, uh, Zerubbabel, uh, he commissions Zerubbabel to go and Zerubbabel takes a wave of people, Haggai's um, among them, and he goes back to the city of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem is lying in ruins. And so in 536, the the people, they go back, this group of maybe 50,000 or so people, they go back and they start rebuilding God's temple that Solomon had built. And they start rebuilding it. They work on it for a year, which I know in our terms, we think construction should be done in a year. But uh, back back in those days, 2,500 years ago, construction didn't work like that. They basically got the foundation laid. And then they started running into trouble. The, the people, the natives of the land, the Samaritans who lived there, came and started causing trouble for them. Uh, they lost their support from the king back home, from the emperor of Persia. You know, construction stopped. And 15 years went by. And it's really important to remember this context for the book of Haggai. That's why I repeat it today. Because 15 years had gone by since any work has done, was done in the temple. And that's the whole reason they went back, was to rebuild the temple. It's been 15 years. And God gives a message to Haggai, the prophet. Now, we, we have to remember the role of a prophet in the Bible. If you remember, your Old Testament is divided into uh, a few basic sections. You've got your Pentateuch and historical books in the front. You've got your poetry and wisdom literature in the middle of the Old Testament. And at the end of the Old Testament is the prophets. A prophet's job was to do two things. Sometimes a prophet foretold the future. And that happened some of the time. Most of the time, a prophet's job was to foretell truth. A prophet was to speak God's word to the people. And that's where we begin in Haggai chapter 1. There's four basic sections of the book of Haggai. They're each based around these four visions of the, from the Lord, these words from the Lord that the Lord gives to Haggai. And today we're going to look at this first section. In August of the year 520 BC. I love that we can date these things. Exactly. Um, the, the calendars, when, we, when Haggai um, speaks of certain dates and times when he says on the first day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. We know when King Darius reigned and what he did. We can date these things precisely. These are not just stories or mythical accounts. They're rooted in history. And in the year 520, in the month August of of the year 520 BC, God speaks through Haggai. And Haggai is about to tell the people that their priorities are not simply about making God number one. They're about making God number one in everything. 
And so I have four things that I want to talk through as we just look through the text. There's four sections of this text that I want to highlight for you today, and I want you to follow along with me. Okay, so Haggai, his first job is to come, and he's got a word for the governor, Zerubbabel. And look at verse 2. Haggai directs these first words towards the governor. And he says in verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time's not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Do you hear God's frustration? These people. I mean, the, the, uh, in the Hebrew, it's as, as uh, obvious as it is to us in the English. That God is not happy. His, it's been 15 years. These people. It shows God's frustration. Why? Why is God frustrated with these people? God's frustrated with these people because they're offering up excuses. The direction that God gave was to rebuild the temple, but it's been 15 years. Nothing's happened. And when asked, the people say, well, it's not the right time yet to rebuild the temple. Now isn't a good time. Could you come back? God, you know, I know you want us to do the work, but it's a bad time. If you could just come back in a little bit when certain things have ironed themselves out, then it'll be a good time to rebuild the temple. And, and to be fair, rebuilding the temple at this point was incredibly inconvenient. I mean, it really was a bad time to rebuild the temple. There's a new emperor in Persia, and he hasn't okayed the rebuilding process, so they've got no building permit. And, uh, and so this isn't going to go well. It's really inconvenient. And the Samaritans had opposed them, and they were still in the land, and they were still going to attack them if they started to rebuild this temple. And they'd do it again. And frontier life was hard. I mean, these people were living not in civil, the civilized world. They're on the frontier. And life was hard, and it's really inconvenient. And they had no money. There was no... I mean, it, the, the previous emperor had, uh, had offered them... Uh, purse, his purse strings, he'd given them money for the funding of rebuilding the temple, but those, the money had since dried up. They had no money. So they didn't have any support. In fact, they had opposition. They had no money and life was hard. And, and so they said, okay, God, you could see that this is a really inconvenient time. Could you just come back in a few years when things have ironed themselves out? Just not yet. You ever told God, not yet? God, I know what you want me to do, but not yet. I'll get a few things worked out first, and, and then I'll get around to it. I know I should change something, but God, it's a bad time. I know I should give up this obsession or this issue that I have, but life's really busy right now. God, I know I should do this, but I'm really stressed out, God, and I just need some time for me. Maybe uh, God was challenging you. In the last series we were in, during this Give Your Life Away series, maybe God's been challenging you to give your life away in a very specific way. Maybe you're supposed to give your life away to, to a group of people, or maybe it's to, in Des Moines working with refugees, or uh, maybe, you know, you want, you're supposed to do something, and you say, God, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I've got young kids right now, and that's really inconvenient. Or maybe you're supposed to get involved in a life group and you say, well, God, that's great, but I've been burned by Christians before and I'm kind of afraid and so it's really inconvenient. Or maybe you're, you're supposed to give your time and you say, well, God, look at my schedule. It's so busy. I don't know what to give up. 
And maybe you're supposed to give your talents and you go, oh God, that's really inconvenient because I'm not talented in anything. Or maybe you're supposed to give away your treasures. And you say, I can't afford to give my money away. Look at life. The bills are stacked up. How am I supposed to give stuff away? Maybe in that give your life away series, God convicted you in a really specific way. And you said, God, I'll do all of those things when it's more convenient for me. Friends, rarely does God ask us to do something that's convenient. God's asking more from us. You see, it's really inconvenient. If, I really wish I had my plate here today. If I ever hold that plate up again, you know that, that it was a great, nice pink or orange color with those compartments in it. And we're going to say, okay, the idea is not to just make Jesus the big compartment, but the idea is to make Jesus number one in every compartment. So if I were to hold up that plate for you again and look at it, and you'd say, okay, uh, let's look at this, the first compartment. Let's look at the compartment of my kids. How do I make Jesus number one priority in my life for my kids? And you think, okay, well, maybe one way is just for my kids that as I just teach them God's word. Every day I find some way to, to bring God's word into their life. You go, that is not convenient at all. Do you know how tired I am at the end of the day? Do you know how hard I work? I mean, I, I can't wait till I get my kids to the point where my kids go put themselves to bed or do something crazy like that. Maybe you're thinking it's not convenient to make Jesus the number one in my family. Maybe you think, okay, maybe there's another compartment. You got your kids here. Maybe you got your friends here. And you're like, how do I make Jesus number one in my friends? Okay, well, uh, I suppose I should talk about Jesus with my friends. Awkward, Dave. I don't want to be the religious freako that brings up Jesus all the time. You know, I mean, we hang out in our neighborhood, and these people will think I'm nuts if I talk about Jesus. Awkward. You know, or maybe it's the compartment of work. You know, you got your, you got your kids, your family, you got your work, or you got your friends, you got your work. And maybe you think, okay, how do I make Jesus number one at work? Well, that's not allowed at work. There's a policy against Jesus at my work. And so how do I do, that's inconvenient. I mean, I could get fired or I could lose a client. Or, I mean, how do I make Jesus, that's really inconvenient. Or how about marriage? You know, you got a big compartment of your marriage here. And you go, okay, well, I know that in Ephesians, Paul tells me that I'm, for, for husbands, he says, you're supposed to sacrifice for your wife like Christ sacrificed for the church and gave up everything that's how you're supposed to love your wives. And the husbands are going, wow, now that's not convenient at all. <laughs> right? I mean, not at all. And maybe you're like, okay, okay, well, all right, so that's not convenient. Maybe my thought life. That's another big section of our plate. No, just the way I think. And I think, no, that's not convenient. I mean, it's so much more easier to play, you know, Angry Birds than it is to spend time thinking about Jesus. Or, I mean, you see, we got so many compartments and there's so many reasons why it's inconvenient to make Jesus number one in any of those compartments. You see, when we have theocentric priorities, God-centered, Jesus-centered priorities, it's never convenient. It just isn't. We have to make a, a decision to make a priority that's inconvenient. 
Haggai continues. The second thing I want to show you today is that the, it's not just that theocentric priorities are inconvenient. Theocentric priorities are for everyone, for every Christian. Look at verse 3. So in, in the year 520, in the month of August, the word comes. Um, in that same vision, in verse 3, the vision shifts. Haggai's supposed to first have directed to Zerubbabel. Now he's going to direct it to the people in general. And in verse 3, he says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Okay. God's saying to the people, listen, you've got your houses. 15 years you've had to work on your house. Your mortgage is half paid off. (laughs) Yeah, you probably refinance. Probably not. All right. So, you know, I mean, 15 years, you're living in your house when my house is laying in ruin. God's got no house. Now, it's interesting. He he says, um, is it time for you to be living in your paneled houses? That's a really interesting word. Uh, the, the reason that this paneled house is so interesting is because what Haggai is doing and what God's doing through the prophet of Haggai is he's reminding them back of the days of King David and King Solomon. Back in the glory days when Israel was a, was a power in the, in the area, when, when they were influential under Solomon, when Solomon had so much wealth and influence in that region. Uh, he's reminding them of the glory days. And here's the thing that, about it. David said to God, David was living at a time where he, he was working on vanquishing all their enemies and having military superiority. And he looked and everything was going well. And he looked and he said, God, you're, we're still worshiping you in this tabernacle. Um, you remember back in Moses' day, if, you've, uh, if you're doing your uh, through the Bible in a year, you're probably reading about the, the tabernacle right now, or you've been reading about the tabernacle, about the specific regulations that God had. It was basically a big mobile temple. It's a tent. It had canvas, and, and, and it was, they could pick the thing up and move it. And, but once they got into the promised land, they kept worshiping God in the tabernacle. And David looked at that and said, I got my nice paneled palace here. God's got a tent. And so David said, God, I don't like that. And God allowed David to prepare for the building of God's house, the temple. And then when we get to Solomon, before Solomon built his own palace, Solomon built God's house. Solomon's house is referred to as a paneled house. See, what Haggai is trying to say to the people is, you've got your priority. David and Solomon had their priorities right at this point. They put God's house above their paneled houses. You're the opposite. You've put your paneled house above God's house. Now, it's important to remember that these paneled houses were not extraordinary, extravagant homes. This is not what the, this is not paneled house for the people of Haggai's day. The paneled house is simply a reference to a simple home for them to live in. We call it a meager home because this was frontier living. They were just trying to survive. Some of you might think, okay, Dave, I know where you're going with this and you ought to preach it. Because those rich people with their ginormous houses, it's ridiculous. They clearly need to downsize or they clearly have their priorities wrong. All those rich people, they need to be God focused. They need to give more money away. They need to live like the rest of us. Friends, the point is not that 
It's the rich that struggle with theocentric priorities. The point is that it's all of us. A paneled house wasn't a rich house. It was just a basic house. Something, it was probably something that most of us wouldn't even dream of sticking our head in today. Let alone living in it. The point is all of them needed to put God first. The temple was a symbol of God's centrality for them as they lived their lives. Did you know today that you are the temple? I talked about this last week. About how when Jesus died and the, te- the curtain of the temple was split in two. When Jesus died and he, he was basically saying God's house is no longer a specific place. We find out that the people, Christians, believers in Jesus, they are the temple. God is living in you. That's what Haggai has to do with Jesus. Because of his death, the temple isn't a building. Jesus said, all of the law and the prophets point to me. Did you know that? The book of Haggai, Jesus said, is really about Jesus. Even though it's written 500 and some years before Jesus even showed up on this earth. In human form. Before the incarnation. The book of Haggai is about Jesus. Is God the center? Is Jesus the priority? You don't have to be extraordinary to struggle with theocentric priorities. You could just be a normal person and you'll struggle with making God number one in every compartment of your life. Now, the story continues. Um, If you flip down to verse six, the next thing that Haggai is going to say, God is going to say through Haggai, is that non-theocentric priorities bring discipline. Look at this. We'll start in verse five. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Okay, so pay attention. You've planted much. Okay, we're in an agrarian society, right? You've planted much, but you've harvested little. So you put a lot of seed in the ground, not much came up. You eat, but it's never enough. Most of us in America don't know what it's like to eat and then be hungry when we're done. Unless you're on a diet, right? Most of us don't know what that's like. We eat till we're not hungry anymore, and then we eat some more. Okay, personal confession. But, you know, uh, I mean, that's, we don't even understand what this is like. But basically they're saying, hey, listen, the food that you've got right now, God's saying, you eat, but it's not enough to fill you up. You drink, but you never have your fill. This is not, uh, you're consuming alcohol, and I'm sorry, you don't have enough to get drunk on. No, this is just water. This is basic sustenance kind of things of life. You're thirsty. You put on clothes, but not enough to keep you warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. In other words, you don't have any money either. God's saying to them, listen, it's not going well for you. Most of us have moved. We, we don't really relate to an agrarian society very well. We live in, this, in a urban, suburban, metro area. And the more urban our culture gets, the more uh, it's a reminder to us that we're trying to use technology to control our lives. So we don't have to be dependent on the rain or the weather. Now in Iowa, we might understand a little bit more about farming than maybe the average person in this country does. But the more we try to, to grow our metropolis areas, more we're trying to use technology to just control our lives. But we can't control it. Our, our problems have just changed. <laughs> now instead of Wondering if the crop is going to grow. We think about business failures and financial crisis and family drama, but we're still out of control. 
And look at how out of control the people in Haggai's day were. They didn't know where their next meal was coming from. They planted and they didn't get anything. It's not going well. You want to know why? Flip down to verse 9. God's going to tell them. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Did you catch that? God brought the calamity. Did you see that? That is scandalous to our American Christian minds. That is scandalous to say that God brought a calamity. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to say that. We want to get God off the hook. So God, okay, this thing that happened, we'll come up with some excuse why you're not sovereign or in control. It's scandalous. God brought the calamity. We believe that God would never discipline us. We believe that he would never do anything to get our attention. But scripture is very clear. Listen to this. The scripture says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Have you ever considered that the Lord might be disciplining you? Now, hold time out. Because we can get this thing way out of balance here. There's a, a movement called the health and wealth gospel movement that has got this idea completely out of balance. They said, if you're poor or having problems, you don't have enough faith. If you're rich and have few problems, you have a lot of faith. They made it a formula. Wow, you're poor. Man, you're a sinner. I'm rich. I got it all together. That's a formula. That, that's not what Haggai's saying. That's not what God's saying. We can't just turn this into a rote formula and say that. But most of us have gone to the other side. Most of us ask, why God? I read one commentator who called Christians in America today new deists. That's what his phrase was. The deists were really popular in the 1700s. Um, our country was formed by a lot of deists. The deists believed that God existed, but he started the physical laws of the universe in motion and then just stepped away. Said, oh, I'll just let it go and see how it turns out. In many ways, Christians are like that. God saved us. We died and he died for our sins and, you know, we believed in him, so we're saved. But then God just said, I'm stepping back and just going to let it go. You know, God disciplines those he loves. We've never, some of us have never even considered that God might de- be dis- disciplining us. Some of us might have never even considered that God might be blessing us. We've never even stopped and asked the question. Non-theocentric priorities bring discipline. When God is not the center, they bring Discipline. That's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. But we have to ask the question. All right, there's a fourth thing that God has to say. God is saying to the, to the people, okay, listen, uh, I know this is inconvenient, and I know uh, that maybe your excuse is that this isn't, this isn't for you, this is for someone else. And, and maybe God's saying, listen, wake up. I'm trying to discipline you. I'm trying to bring corrective measures into your life. The last thing that, that God says through the prophet Haggai to us is that theocentric priorities result in God's glory. Okay, look at verse 8. Verse 8. 
God says to them, go up to the mountain, bring down the timber, which is a reference to Solomon. That's what Solomon did when he built the first temple. He went up, he had to get timber. He got special, beautiful timber and he brought it down for the building. But when the temple was ransacked and destroyed, a lot of the stone was left in place. You know, you knock down stones, there's still stones in the ground. But when you set it to fire, all the timber burns up. And so they, they had stones, they needed to get timber. So he says, listen, go up to the mountain, bring down the timber, and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. There's three verbs, the remedy for their problem. Go, bring, and build. But the question is, why? And, and friends, this is what you cannot miss today. Okay, don't miss. Why? Why rebuild the temple? Why make God the priority in our lives as we're the temple? Why make Jesus the priority? Why, why, why? It, we get the answer right in verse 8. Look, he says, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. God wants your life to be theocentric. God wants Jesus to be number one in everything because God wants the glory. And that's what your life is about. You see, theocentric priorities are not simply about making Jesus number one. They're about making Jesus number one in everything. And the purpose of your life is the glory of God. Did you know that the purpose of your life is worship? The purpose of your life is worship. Why do you exist? God, you exist to bring him glory. The purpose of your life is worship. And you'll be miserable if you don't get that. I let my dog outside this morning. My dog loves the snow. Every time I think about a purpose for life and I see my dog in the snow, my dog knows the purpose of his life. He's, he's a big Bernese mountain dog. Some of you have met him. He's like 90 some pounds. He's got this huge thick coat of fur. When it's summer and it's 95 degrees, my dog Riker is going to die. I mean, he just sits there and he looks. He finds the air conditioning vent and just goes, this is awful and miserable. Why would you do this to me? <laughs> and that's what he says. But then uh, in the wintertime, this morning I went downstairs. I opened the kennel. I brought him up the stairs. I opened the front door. I let him out. The first thing he does is he runs outside. I know the guy's got to go to the bathroom, but he's got something more important to do. He lays down on his back in the snow and he just scratches his back in the snow and he rolls and he just gets completely covered. And at that moment, my dog is the happiest dog in the world because he's, he was supposed to, he's designed, he's designed to pull carts in Switzerland through the snow. That's what he was made for. He's happy. He's joyous. Did you know you and I were made for something too? We were made to bring God glory. And when we worship him, when we bring him glory, we bring joy to ourselves. Our church exists to bring glory to God. Okay, so if theocentric means God-focused, there's another word that is a big word that I'll just throw out there for fun. Anthropocentric. Uh, anthropos is the Greek for man. So you got theocentric, you got anthropocentric. <laughs> It's the difference between a church that's God-centered and a church that's man-centered. What does a man-centered church look like? Because that doesn't even make any sense. Why would a church be man-centered? Really? A, a man-centered church asks the primary question, how do I meet my needs? How do I meet people's needs? Now, that's not a bad question. But that's not the primary question of a church. Why do we want to serve our community at Waukee Community Church? Do we want to do it to help people? Yes. 
Do we want to do it to ease hardship? Yes. Do we want to do it to feel good about ourselves? Not really, but maybe. Do we want to do it because God told us to? Yes. But there's something bigger here we can't miss. We want to serve our community. We want to serve the world because God gets the glory. A church that exists to meet people's needs only is an anthropocentric church. It's a man-centered church. A church that exists because of the glory of God is a God-centered church. Worship is the primary function of the church. We serve because it brings glory to God. We share our faith because it brings glory to God. As John, John Piper has rightly said, missions exist because worship does not. That's why. We need to take the gospel to the world because that's the point. People were designed to worship God. Theocentric priorities are not simply about making Jesus number one. They're about him, making him number one in everything. So, Okay. So, how, how do we do church? How do we do life in a way that brings glory to God in everything? Well, we make Jesus number one in everything. So when we, when we meet with our kids and when we say, I want to make Jesus number one, we don't make excuses for it being inconvenient or our friends or our work or our marriage or our thoughts. We make Jesus number the one in everything. Theocentric priorities are not simply about making Jesus number one. They're about making Jesus number one in everything. All right, I got one more picture I want to throw up there. I want to end with this little rant, I think. Do we have another picture? Yep, there it is. Okay. Found this on Facebook. There's a lot of garbage on Facebook, just so you know. Apologizing does not always mean that you're wrong and the other person is right. It just means that you value your relationship more than your ego. That is such a nice-sounding phrase, isn't it? That's such a nice-sounding phrase. That is such garbage, right? So think about the practicality of this. All right, so basically you're saying, I'm number one. I'm the most important thing, and my relationship is important. So, you know, if if I have a problem and I'll go, okay, I'll apologize, even if I don't think I'm wrong, just to make things better. We talk about a big ego. Hey, I'm sorry. Well, what are you sorry for? Nothing. I just was saying I'm sorry because I want our relationship to be better. No. Think about how this would work with God. You want to make God number one in your life, but you say, okay, um, God, in my relationship with you, I think you're more important than I am. God, I'm sorry for my sin. But I'm not really sorry for my sin. I'm just saying that so you won't be upset with me anymore. Because, you know, friends, the essence of the gospel, if we're going to make Jesus number one, like let's say just in our relationships, The essence of the gospel says, I'm wrong. I sinned. I'm at fault. I did wrong. You want to prioritize Jesus in your life? Prioritize him in your forgiveness. Prioritize him in your apologies. Prioritize him in your relationships. Be willing to say, no, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's just one example. There's a, a million examples of how we make Jesus a priority in our life. And as we work our way through the book of Haggai, we're going to see that prioritizing Jesus is important 
in, in every area of our life. He doesn't just get one compartment. He gets them all. Theocentric priorities are not simply about making Jesus number one. They're about making Jesus number one in everything. Let's pray and close.